Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. I'm going to say this is a repeat. Chapter 5, which is where we were at last Sunday in Bible study. But the Lord won't let me leave it alone. And so I, I tried to go a different way this morning. I tried really hard. Uh, but the Lord said, I want you to bring this out. So you just pray that I'll do what the Lord had me to do. Uh, that's, that's all I know how to do. Um, but I don't want to do it in my own strength. I want to do it in his. So now some of you didn't make it to Bible study. You missed out. Because Bible study was really good. Not because of me. But because the word of God is real. It is so good. But there's something that jumped out at me. And, and it's just been bothering me ever since. I nearly probably was close to preaching at the Abbey at the house the other day. So I thought somebody needed to hear it. Uh, so anyway, I, I'll do my best to give what God's given me. Revelations chapter 5, we'll try not to repeat everything that we taught on. We're going to pick out one spot and, and camp there. But I do want to start in the first verse uh, so I can get all you caught up uh, who weren't there. Chapter 5 verse 1 says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw... A strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the others saith unto me, Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Now, we don't know. I'm just going to just give you just a briefest of recast with the book of Revelations. It's all about things that are here to come. It was futuristic events that John the Revelator saw. And in this book, in chapter 5, uh, he's seeing a picture of heaven. He's seeing in the throne room. We've talked about this. Uh, he sees God holding this really important book. Now, we could talk about what the book's about, but we don't do that right now. It's a really important book. It's so important that it's in God's hands and no man can take it out of his hands. It's so important that it's sealed up with seven seals. And those seals, uh, when released, release all the tribulation into the land. It's such an important book that when John sees it, and he feels that nobody can open it, that he begins to weep. Now, I want you to see this picture, first of all. That he begins to weep, it says, uh, that he wept much. He, he was, he was brokenhearted over the fact that nobody was able to open the book. Uh, now, now, just think about that just for a moment. In this past few days, we've seen uh, some young people put in the ground. We've seen these young people just... Just put to rest, and across us were people just brokenhearted, yeah. uh, just just weeping much uh, over this great loss. Uh, now I want you to see that in John, uh, he was brokenhearted, maybe not over something he understood, but he was broken over how he felt. Uh, he knew that there was something important about that book, and he was just broken. He just he couldn't control it. He was he was so upset uh, because of the circumstance of what was in that book that it could not be opened. But the Bible then says uh, uh, that there was one of the elders. Now, now we've done talked about it in our Bible study time that that's not an angel, but that's a person. Now, I want you to get a hold of this because it's real important to this context. John's broken. He's, he's brokenhearted. And if you've ever been in a really bad place in your life, you know what it's like to be brokenhearted. Amen? 
Uh, it, it, it started at a young age, you know, children, when they don't get something that they want, uh, they, they'll cry about it. They'll be upset, right? And then you move up on in life, and, and maybe, it's a, a, maybe it's a love, you know, maybe a sweetheart don't like you anymore, but you like somebody else, and you feel brokenness inside. But then as we grow older, we begin to truly experience what brokenness is through, through death and through loss. Uh, for, for people who choose to walk away instead of uh, making those relationships work. We begin to understand what brokenness is. John the Revelator felt the weight of brokenness upon the whole world. Because of the importance of that book, even though he didn't probably know what was inside of it, what it represented, he could feel, literally from just being in the presence of the book, the brokenness. I just want you to say that John the Revelator was brokenhearted here. And he wept much. But there was a man come his way. Now that's important. That there was a man standing there, an elder, uh, somebody who knew what Christ was, what he had done, was standing there in the room. And he said to him, weep not. Now I don't know about you, but if you've ever been broken, you ever been tore up sobbing? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about really broken hearted. If somebody just tells you, quit crying. Do you quit crying? No, you can't. Fuels fire. It, it, don't, it don't work that way, does it? What do you mean, weep not? Weep, what do you mean, weep not? What, what do you mean to just stop this feeling that I feel on the inside? I can't just stop feeling what I feel on the inside. I cannot just become unbroken. Ever think about that? That, that it just, just, just doesn't happen. Like that. That's what it says to him, weep not. Matter of fact, those two words, weep not, appear in the Bible over and over and over again. Along with the words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid and weep not. If you, if you count up the times during the Bible, there's enough for every day of the year. There's 365 of them things in there. But, but yet it's hard not to weep, and it's hard not to be broken, and it's hard just to be all of a sudden miraculously healed. But he said to him, weep not. But he doesn't stop there and just say, don't cry. He doesn't say, stop crying about this. But he says to him, he says, behold. Now that word right there, behold, in the Bible means something. It means get a hold of it. It don't mean just know this. It doesn't mean just to recognize it or to give it acknowledgement. Okay? When you see the words behold in the scripture, you need to understand what the writer meant. He says, you got to get a hold of it. That would be a country way of saying it. you got to get a hold of this. You need to understand this. In other words, he's saying, I want you to stop crying, but I don't want you to stop crying. I want you to stop crying because you get a hold of what I'm about to tell you. Are y'all with me? You get a hold of what I'm about to tell you. Now, this is what the Lord just, he just got a hold of me and said, you can't let this go. This is good right here. In the scripture, he says, he says, weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, I want you to know why this is important to me, and it's probably not important to anybody else in this room, but why God says, Brian, you just got to get a hold of this, because I've always misunderstood it. Now, I don't know why I misunderstood it. I don't know if there's a song that's sung about this scripture. I don't know if it's just the way I imagined it in my mind, hearing it sometime, maybe a preacher preached it or a Sunday school teacher taught it, and this is just the way I dreamed it up. But for years, I've misunderstood that verse. Let me tell you how I misunderstood it, so to help you understand why I think it's such an important verse. I pictured in my mind that there's a book and no man can open it. As if this book up here was sealed and God said, now who can open it? 
And he just begins to cry. And when the elder said, behold, I pictured Jesus coming into the room. In other words, beforehand, he wasn't there, but now he's coming in the room. Now, now, that may have just been a misconception of mine, and I believe it was. All this time, I've just pictured him, behold, like as if, here he is. Ta-da, here he comes. You just wait. He's coming. But that's not what the scripture says. Now, I want you to look at it again. It says, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. So I guess that's what I was thinking. He's, he's done this, and now here he is, and he's going to lose those seals. But then verse 6 says, And I beheld. Uh-oh. Y'all remember what I said about behold? What did behold mean? It meant get a hold of it. So if you read then beheld, what does that mean? He got a hold of it. He, he understood it. He figured out what did he beheld. What did he, what did he see that took him on? Well, let's read. He says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... He's already there. I want y'all to see this picture. He's already there. Where's he at? He's in the midst of the throne. He's right there at the throne. Look what it says. And in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are, in the, se which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Let me just tell you this. In the middle of his brokenness, Christ, was already there. Before he started weeping, somebody get a hold of this. Before he started weeping, Christ was already there. As a matter of fact, Christ had already overcome. Did y'all see this? He's already done it. He's already done it. He's already overcome. He's already the answer. He's already there. Now, that may not mean nothing to any of y'all, but this is what God really said to me. He said, I'm always there. But the problem is, you haven't beheld me. The problem is, is that you have not beholden, that you hadn't got a hold of, that I'm already there. See, what I begin to see, and it's more clearly than I've ever saw before, is just that Christ... He's always there. And we say, well, now you knew that, Pastor. You knew that. Yeah, but how many times do we not behold him? There's a difference. There's a difference. I believe that Christ is ever-present. I believe that he has my best interest. But what about when I'm in the middle of turmoil and circumstances and situations? What about when I'm grieving and I'm broken? Have I beheld? That he's always there. So I began to think about this. Really, really. I, the Lord just really began to impress upon me. And just push in my mind. Think about. Think about. He's always there. He's always there. I was, I was, I was at, actually I was at Alex's school. Uh, not, not too long ago where Abby teaches. And, and we were doing observations. We were going around. And we observe classrooms. And we go in. And we see what things they're doing in the classroom. And kind of take notes, and then we go back and talk about it and discuss what things are they doing that are great, celebrate those things, what things can they do better, and talk about those things. And, and we went in this English teacher's classroom. 
And let me just say, she's a phenomenal English teacher. I, I never loved English as a student. I, that was not my subject. It's not my subject today. But she's such a great teacher. When I go in there, I just want to sit down and listen. I quit thinking about what I'm supposed to be there for. I don't even think about what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm just, I'm drawn in and I'm listening to her words. And she was talking about, she was teaching these students about how you say the words makes all the difference. She was talking about emphasizing words and giving them stress and it changes the meaning of the sentence. Y'all got, y'all, y'all asked for a weird pastor, so that's y'all's fault. So, so I began to think about, he's always there. He is always there. It's a, it's a four-word sentence. This is what the Lord just, I, I told you, I tried hard to preach a different message, and this is the one he said, I can't let it go. He is always there. Y'all with me? Four words. What I was stressing on, though, is, is he is always there. He's always there. Right. right? In the middle of your circumstance, middle situation, mm-hmm. he is always there. And so it's, it was important where he was at. Are y'all with me? It's important uh, that, that in my situation and in your greatest turmoil, he is always there, present. But now do this. Let's change the stress. Let's take it off there. Let's put it on always. He is always there. Same sentence, same four words. He is always there. But now the meaning's changed. Right? The meaning of the sentence changed. Same sentence. But now what's important is that he's always, ever present there. So not only is it important that God's always present in your situation there, that that it doesn't matter where you took him to, it doesn't matter what situation you went into, he stayed with you. But now it's important and and it's good to note that he's always that way. Can, can I tell you this? That, that when you preach those four words, you preach that word always for a minute. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. It doesn't matter. God is always there. He's always already overcome. Now, 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 y'all say, preach, this is just so basic. I know it is. I know it is, but we, we need to get to where God took me to. So, so let's, let, let's, ta- let's change that stress off the word always. Let's move it to is. He is always there. Now, I don't, I don't know if you got that, but that just means the fact is, is means always. So always means always, but now is is a different type of always. Because the always to me, when I read that word, it meant didn't matter where I've been, what I've done, didn't matter the circumstances, situations, always was always. But now this is means not all, is he only always there, but he's actively present there. In other words, the situation that you're in, he's already actively working in. See, that verb is, you know, God said, when Moses asked him, he said, who should I say that, I, that sent me? He said, tell them I am. Right? This active verb tense or something. I don't even know what the right English. I told you I wasn't good at English. That's not my subject. In other words, he's saying, I am, as if he always is. Remember what he said to people? He said, tell them that I am, and I was, and I will be. I am the past. The present and the future. In other words, this, this verb is means it, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. He is always there. On, right. I don't know about y'all, but I'm so thankful that I serve a loving God who loves me enough that he is yeah. always there. 
Right. In the midst of the worst circumstances and trials and tribulations. Praise God, aren't you glad? I thought about those poor folks. Oh, whose hearts are broken because of the death of a loved one. But I know my God. He is always there. Yeah. Praise the Lord this morning. Yes. You don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. No. John's sitting there weeping and he's bitterly weeping. And that old angel, or that old uh, elder says to him, Weep not. And behold him. Behold him. Behold the one who died on the rugged cross for your sins. Yeah. Behold him who overcame. He's right there. And he's worthy. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's worthy. We got one more word to stress, though. He is always there. Now, this is where the Lord kind of whooped on me a little bit. I want you to stay with me now. Same four words. We just moved the stress now to where it should be, by the way. <laughs> and that's on Him. He is always there. Book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I don't know how much I'm going to read or not read. But we find Isaiah the prophet. Now, Isaiah wasn't just kind of any old prophet. Isaiah may have been one of the greatest prophets that's walked this earth. He's right up there with Elijah and Elisha, except Isaiah was someone who was so well-spoken and so well-known he could speak to the common man and he could go in and be counseling kings in the next moment. Isaiah carried the word of God and he carried it close to him. Everywhere he went, he carried the word of God. He was a great prophet. But chapter 6 begins, and the people had just lost their king. They just lost their king. Matter of fact, it starts out, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah was a king who, for the most part, we could say was a great king as far as Israel goes. If you ever do a study of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, this is what you're going to find. There were some good kings, and there were some really bad kings. There were kings who brought in adultery and brought in idols and brought in all kinds of garbage. And every time they get down there, God had to send somebody to get them out of that mess. Or he had to put them in some type of persecution. And then they'd be a king or two. They'd do some good things. And they'd tear down the idols. And they'd cut down the groves. And they'd do all these things. And try to bring Israel back up. Well, Uzziah was a king who for, ruled for 30, 40, 50 years. I can't remember exactly. A long time. He was there a long, long time. And while he was ruling, uh, he, he, he brought God back into the land. So we'd say he's a good king. Not only did he bring God back into the land, but uh, the Bible teaches us that he defeated many of their enemies, brought them into subjection around them, fortified the city of Jerusalem, and brought peace to the land for a long time. In other words, the people said, it's a good king. Because why? We're living in prosperity, and we're living in peace. And he ruled for a long time. What I'm trying to tell you is, is the people have been used to King Uzziah's rule. They've been used to this, hey, everything's going good. We've got a good military. Our enemies are fleeing before us. Our city is stronger than it's ever been. This king is a great king. Now, I can tell you this, that in Uzziah's latter years, 
that he got a little bit high-minded, a little bit prideful, because all the good that was going on, God struck him with leprosy until eventually he died. So the end of his life wasn't as good as the first part. But in the people's eyes, he was a good king. And, and they took it so far as to say when he died that they were afraid. I want you to hear this now. We're still talking about he is always there. We're talking about the he. Stay with me. But the people thought that when the king had died, that that, that meant maybe things were about to turn for the worse. Maybe the, all these good things that they'd been experiencing were about to go away. And so there was a fear across the land. Now Isaiah is a prophet of God. He hears from God. He's close to God. And he's been praying about it. How do you know that preacher? It didn't say that exactly. Because he's close to God. When things go bad, what do people close to God do? They get down and they start talking to him. Isaiah's got plenty of examples we can read about where he called out to God. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, y'all got to stay with me to get this picture. This king that they had lifted up is passed away. Prophet Isaiah says, As I was thinking about this king who went this way, I saw a vision of the true king. Are you with me? I saw a vision of the Lord. Now, the word here, and if you look up in the Old Testament, is the word Adonai, or the word we use for Adonai, which is, is the word that means God who doth rule. It is the God who doth uh, take over. It is the God whose presence is so powerful that he can leave. What I'm telling you is, is Isaiah was worried about the earthly king when he saw the heavenly king. Now, I'm telling you this scripture, and I brought you here for this reason. Because we, we, were, we were just talking about he is always there. And we were so excited about him being there, right? In my situation, in my circumstances. We were all excited about the always. That there was nothing going on in my life that would persuade him not to show up in the midst of my terminal trial. And we were all excited about the is, right? That, that, that it's just a, ste a steady presence of his being in my life all the time. We were all excited about those things. And when I said the word he, we're pretty excited because we think, oh yeah, we love Jesus. We're glad he's in our lives. But, but do you know who he is? Because here's the prophet Isaiah, and he's thinking about this old king that's coming. And all of a sudden, God shows up in his life. And he says, listen, he says, I saw also the Lord. Any of y'all seen the Lord, by the way? What do you do? The Lord showed up today. What would you do if you saw a vision of him? I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Let's go on. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twenty covered his face, and with twenty covered his feet, and with twenty did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can I just say that right, right there? Where it says, holy, holy, holy. Y'all know what does that? Y'all know what that means? That means holy, obviously, right? 
In this day and age, when the writers of these books, these Hebrews, would write these books, one of the literary things that they would do is that they would repeat themselves when something was important. When something was important, they would, they would write it again, typically twice. But here, in talking about God, and here these angels are singing, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. In other words, the most important thing that they want you to get about God is, is that he is holy. Do you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is love, love, love? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he is peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. The only time that God is attributed with multiple of the same word is the word holy. Because that's the most important part of who God is. This is that he is holy. I'm so thankful that he's all the other things, but he is, without a doubt, holy. I've never really thought about this, and, and listen, I, I really don't know. These angels, these seraphims are there, and they got these three sets of wings, right? One set I know they're used as a fly. One set's covering up their face, and the other side, the others are covering up their feet. I don't know exactly why, but I, it hit me. They're in the presence of God all the time. That's a job, is to be in the presence of God. And it seems interesting to me that their faces are covered up, as if never to look directly on him. You know, when Moses was with God, and they were up on the mountainside, and Moses said, let me see your glory, which, by the way, I don't know what possessed him to think that that was okay for him to ask. And God said, there ain't no man could see me and live. I'm not sure in the presence of God that any of us could stand. Not even the angels could stand. They got their faces covered up because he's so holy. Now, what God are you asking to be a part of your life? Just the one that gets you out of trouble? Just the one that comforts you when you're broken? Just the one that pats you on the back and makes you feel good? Because he is always there. Isaiah, I'm, I'm, let's, let's read a little bit further. Isaiah says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. It's, it says when he's talking, it's like there's an earthquake going on. When's the last time you were humbled to be in God's presence? When's the last time it shook you? Because he was near. Verse 5 says, Isaiah said, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a man who preaches the truth, who preaches the gospel. He's, he's, he's the prophet Isaiah. And he says, Woe! Is me. Can I tell you, if God showed up right now in the midst of us and His holiness and His glory, the best we could do is say, Woe is us. No. He is powerful. Yep. And He is mighty and holy. And He is always present. We quit reverencing who God is. And I'm excited that he is always there for me. 
I'm excited that Christ doesn't forsake me, even just as she sung in the song and the sister testified. When I'm good, he loves me. When I'm bad, he loves me. But he's still God. And we can't keep treating him like a spare tire. We can't just keep saying, well, when Sunday comes, I'll do that. I'll act that way. But in the week, I'm all right. Because can I tell you, he's not just showing up in your life. He's right there. The Bible says, what's done in the dark, it's not a secret to him. And it will be brought to the light. We get all happy. We get all excited about the Savior who's, who's on our side, who's the champion. We get real quiet when we talk about the God who is holy, who's always present in our life. I told a story one time, years ago, about a man who uh, walked across a tightrope. This was like in 1958, across uh, Niagara Falls. He was so good at it that he started doing all kinds of things. He did it blindfolded. Uh, he did it in the dark. One time he went to the middle of it, and I think he, he cooked an omelet on this tightrope across Niagara Falls. So then he's, he's about to have a, another performance, and so he's there at, on the side of the land, there's some people gathered there to watch the great feet. What's he going to do next? And he says, how many of you believe that I could do it and carry someone on my shoulders? And the crowd cheered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he turns to a guy. How about you, sir? I'll carry you across that. That man says, oh, no. <laughs> Not me. I'm not risking my life for you. How many of us treat our relationship with God? Of, Yay! Yes, thank you. I love Jesus. But I don't take the triune part of that God thing, and I really don't want no touch of that Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm not putting my life out there. How many of you come to church each Sunday and say, Yay, praise the Lord. Sing that song again. Come on now. Let's just be real. Don't give me that God thing. That's too serious. And don't let that spirit flow my way. I'll take the salvation and nothing else. Can I tell you, you can't have just the salvation and nothing else. If you accepted him as your Savior, he bought you with a price, and you are no longer your own, but you belong to an almighty, holy God. You are his. And he is always there. So he turned from that man and said, how about you, sir? That man said, I've seen what you can do, and I believe you're able. That man climbed on his shoulders 
And together, they went across that bridge, that little tightrope to the other side. What the people didn't know was that that man that he asked the second time was his manager. And his manager had seen him over and over again and knew what he was capable of doing. Can I tell you, those that know what God's capable of are those that reverence him. Those that know that he is able to carry them safely across to the other side will trust in him. Can I tell you, we don't need to be playing church. Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And not accept that he still is God. And he's still on the throne. And he's present in our life. He is always there. Not just the belly out of jail car, but the Almighty God who put the world into creation and spun this earth up. He is always there. Y'all get a song in. I'm going to close in just a minute. Stand with us all over half. We're going to have a time of prayer.